Let's get to it, man. Another episode, another edition of the Knowing is Knowing podcast, as always. Uh, I didn't think I was going to go back to doing interviews, but my grandma has inspired me to go back to doing interviews, man, with people that I consider dope uh, and always have something to bring into the world, but also really involve or indulge in deep conversation. And this person I got today, man, he's, he's like a little brother. I used to call him my son, but obviously... <laughs> We are we're actually cousins. I keep forgetting that. <laughs> um, but a very, very bright young man. When I want to learn something about, honestly, anything from politics to housing, redlining, education, man, uh, his content really blows me away. I know it's just the beginning, man. He's actually, even though it's not done yet, it's not done. It's going to happen. He is the He is going to do the audio version of my book, um or books at this point honestly i got another one to talk but books um and so my my good brother man caleb hughes man how are you, you doing today man thank you for that wonderful intro i'm I'm doing well yeah and i gotta say i'm i know all i know through different social sciences thanks to a long list of good teachers a long list of good uh social studies teachers and history teachers so you know it didn't it didn't come out of nowhere <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, I know you want to give people credit, man, but it's hard to say. I, I, I'm interested in, obviously, I know you, but I'm interested in letting people know more about you and mm -hmm. who you are, man, because you make content that is so different than most, I would just say, honestly, I would just say, like, than most Black people. Um, yeah. Yours is very driven in education, history, uh, but it's done in such a great storytelling way that is easy to follow along so what right. what got you to this path man what created this these layers of interest we can dive into more of the interests uh but sure. what got you into wanting to kind of you know tell your vision and and kind of tell you know history and these things you know on on social media what got you into that for sure good question i mean honestly since i was even little uh my uncle uncle billy he used to uh call me uh little professor I always just like to be explaining shit. <laughs> nah, for real. Here or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. good, man. Free, free yeah. platform. <laughs> um, I used to always just love explaining shit. I'm just naturally very curious. I mean, if any asset is, you know, my great that's probably my greatest asset is just how naturally curious I am. And thankfully I was put in positions where um I was kind of forced to think very critically um about my surroundings. Um I went to schools like uh New City School that was very, you know, focused on teaching nonconformity. They're always like, you need to think outside the box. Um, some people will call it kind of like a, um, a holistic way of teaching. Some people will call it, um, you know, focusing, focusing on critical thinking. And it was both those things. Some people will call it derogatorily, like a, a school for hippies, like a hippie school. They're just trying to teach like, you know, uh, some alternative methods. But, you know, we, as we've seen with the way that, I think a lot of uh, our collective psyche, you know, has uh, grown and matured. I think uh, we're realizing a lot of people are finding, you know, information from different sources, and we're seeing the the value of not necessarily thinking uh, in, in a mainstream way. So, I my background definitely, you know, set some of that up for me. And for me, when I make my content and videos, just the way I think, um, I always try to. I think because of my background, I have a very diverse background um, as far as, you know, the types of people I'm around, um, especially, you know, with black and white people. But even even beyond that, um, on a race level, on a class level, um, on an education level. So because I've, you know, had to occupy what um, uh, I read this one text uh, in this ways class I took, actually it was an intro level ways course. Um, and I think it was... Uh, La Frontera, the Borderlands or something. Let me pull this up real quick. Uh, you can cut this yeah. part out. But, uh, this is important. Anzadula. I might be, I'm definitely saying it wrong. Gloria Anzadula. Um, and basically it's called La Frontera uh, Borderlands. And basically um, I read like an excerpt of that for this waste course. Yeah. And how that relates to, you know, how I think and how I approach my content is that she was talking about how some of the, the people that can like, you can see a lot when you're at the border, when you're at um, kind of like she says, the border or convergence or like um, the intersection of different things. When you're like 
when you're on the outside looking in, sometimes you can see the inside, you know, clearer than what the people inside of it can see. Um, and me, you know, being like growing up in a lower middle uh, class um, in, uh, income background and, you know, growing up in a mostly black community and then going to like, you know, different PWIs, private white institutions, you know, with lots of money, well, some with not so much money than others with lots of money. Um, and then those each having its own kind of like, you know, diversity in some ways, some of them weren't diverse in class, but they were diverse in, um, in race or, you know, where people come from. And basically what I'm saying is when you are forced to kind of like think, um, think outside of yourself, of course, that's the most basic, but when you're, when you're put at that border and she, this writer, she, uh, speaks to her experiences, like, I think it's someone, um, um, I don't want to misquote it, but basically she, she's talking about white society and she's also talking about like, um, um, Latinx society and like indigenous society. And she's like, she has like an identity that's like, you know, at the intersection of all three. Um, and you know, plenty of people have studied this. Uh, uh I forget, forget her name. I want to say it's Kimberly Crawford, that sounds kind of right. The the lady, the, the black woman who put, I know you see Poofy on it, the black woman who uh, coined intersectionality. Um, she, uh, yeah, she kind of explained, you know, that advantage that you get when you're at the intersection and um, basically how it, intersectional thinking, you can learn so much from it, basically. So I try to, since my background is intersectional and I'm forced to look at, look at and negotiate things, you know, from all different perspectives, all different viewpoints, um, it helps you with the final product. So when I when I think through things and when I make content, I generally like I try to think of like how would my dad approach this or how would my mom approach this or like you know how would my grandma you know take this in or how would my friend and because they're all in very different stages you know of life and society um, that that is able to kind of you know give me a unique vantage point to kind of blend that all together and I can always find the com the common denominator. Um, that's something that me and my dad always say. What's the common denominator? Because then that's you know that's how you communicate, and that's how I try to make my videos like you know simple, but you know um, complex at the same time. Because you don't always need complex thoughts. You don't always need complex words to express complex thoughts. You can express yeah. complex thoughts with you know simple words sometimes. So it's all about finding you know the through line, the common denominator that's going to connect the most people, and understanding like what what people are really feeling and how you can kind of, you know, tap into that. So that's, that's guides everything I do more than just the content, but um, you definitely see it in the content. So, and, and that's what I'm proud of um, as far as, you know, something I made. Yeah, no, I like that. I thought Poof was about to sneeze. That's what I said. <laughs> it's weird I, seeing Kev. She, um, she never spent as much time here. I swear. I I'm know. Like, this it's because she, she knows, I think. I think it's just like she recognizes that I'm here. We got we have a great relationship, so that's that's great. Uh, but I think the one thing I've always, uh, not even just like content aside, but just like in our in our conversations, I think we do have sometimes conversations like from a political standpoint. Uh, this really the goal isn't to go into like a political spiel of understanding how the world works, because I think that we all we kind of both agree that you know parties. And political parties are often discussed and or you're labeled based off of I my personal opinion, economics, like where you are economically yeah. in life. I think that's the main framework. But the other thing I want to kind of get into your thought is really mainly is like your perspective on classism and how it affects yeah. our world today. Cause I mean, as you we both kind of experienced, you know, you um uh, you went to a great high school in St. Louis, uh, arguably one of the best academically but also one of the best from a financial standpoint as far as the type right. of kids that you're getting and then you also went to a top 10 university um in the united states and graduated from there too though man um and I so having a yeah I, you 15, know not, not top 10 it's not top 10 <laughs> top hey man you graduated from washu bro i don't care what nobody right. said um that's still a, a win is a win is a win but um my question is you know in those experiences though like what was the biggest thing you think you learned about classism itself like how do you think that uh affects so much of our world today like we talk about it yeah. like from your perspective like how do you think it affects so much of the world today i mean we could talk about classism for a long time but i'd say my head immediately goes to um well first i mean for context for people that don't know washu 
um, when you talk about like income and family and like wealth and income, um, Amherst is first as far as the highest like um, student, like, you know, well, how much wealth and income they come in with um, to the college, WashU is second. So second nationally and average student like, you know, income. So, you know, what you saying is, you know, very true. Like these are very wealthy people on average because um, a lot of them, um, yeah, a, a lot of them are, are coming from, you know, some of the most wealthy uh, parts of the country. Um, but yeah, my my immediate like thoughts as far as like how class, like what did I see with, with classes and, you know, things I say as far as things to learn and take away from it. Like, um, I think it, it's hard to like, it's hard to know and it's hard to overestimate how much um, it can, you can be in a little bubble and how much it can blind you and how, you know, ignorant you can be of other people's experiences. I think, um, hmm. um, I think that it can like, it, it's been long studied that like wealth can make you more, um, wealth can make you less empathetic um, to other people. Um, coming from working class backgrounds, um, one on the like, usually wealth can buy you certain convenience and it also buys you like certain physical and mental distance and emotional distance from people. Um, some people seek that out. Some people don't necessarily seek that out, but it just happens to be a byproduct of money and wealth. Um, and because of that, um, because of that distance, you start to be, you start to um, empathize less with other people in general. And empathy, I mean, one of the pillars of, you know, society, uh, the country, pillars of just like, you know, human relations in general and love. Um, so not having to have like that kind of relationship to have like, you know, people, people, you know, wanting to become more prosperous, more wealthy, and then also having like the outcome of that be, you know, lower empathy. That's, that's a, that's a bad relationship. And that's a, um, something that we, that we should understand as a lot of us, you know, that aren't as wealthy kind of strive for money and wealth is like, okay, what are, what is that, you know, kind of putting us in a position to do. So that's one of the most important things that I think about when, when I think of classism is that I think of how much it can like self-reinforce your, um, your worldview and how the, the type of incentives it puts in place um, for you and like, you know, your behavior. Um, to give like a hard example, uh, I, I made one video and I was talking about how um, there was a study where they were tracking like eye movement of like, you know, people from different classes or different wealth incomes and people of people that were more wealthier consistently looked at other people less, just in general, just looked at people less, looked at, you know, the homeless person less, look at, you know, other people less. They're just like, they're more tunnel vision. Whereas people that earn less were or had less wealth were like, we're looking at other people more. You can make a lot of, you know, assumptions based off of that. But I think it's a pretty easy and safe, like, understanding that that's not a good thing. You know, like eye contact for a lot of people, not everyone, not every society, but for our society, eye contact is important. And it also is just like, it's, it's a marker of like, I see you, I acknowledge you exist. You know, it's the base of of anything else. Before you even talk to someone, you know, you're, you're looking at them. Um, and I don't know, that's just like once, that's one small study, that's one, one yeah. indicator, but it, it shows you a lot, you know? Um, and our, our intuition kind of already knows that, but that's just like one kind of hard example for you. Um, I could definitely think more about other things I've learned from classism, just being at WashU. I mean, I think that people... Another thing, everyone likes to think of themselves as middle class. <laughs> I feel like that's a, a running joke. <laughs> like that you see, like everyone, like people could be, have like Montclair jackets and you know uh, AP watches and like, like, oh yeah, I'm upper middle class. Like no man, you you're in the one percent. <laughs> and but generally, people don't really understand that. And I think it, your question is like, you know, it's a very important question because like that exposes our, our lack of like understanding the difference differences and like the tiers of how, how wealthy people are of the classes. The fact that we all think we're middle-class, even though most of us, you know, middle class is like, you know, the small sliver and we think is this many people. Um, the fact that we think like, um, 
yeah, you'd be earning hundreds of thousands of dollars and you're not, you know, rich. Like it's just a disconnect. And it, it, that also ends up to us not necessarily um, aligning ourselves to the types of policies and the types of solutions that we should be aligning ourselves to. It, that could be us not voting our interests. That could be us like thinking that, um, oh, I don't want to vote for this person because they're going to raise taxes on the wealthy. I'm trying to be the, I'm not the wealthy right now, but I'm trying to be the wealthy, you know? And it's this like, you know, you're voting against your actual, um, what might actually benefit you. Cause we all kind of, this is a big tangent, but we all kind of, you know, um, imagine ourselves as, uh, as, um, uh, as that rich person, like where there's a famous quote, uh, from this, like, you know, um, political figurehead in the uh, 1900s he was like socialism never took root in america because the poor are too busy to seeing themselves as temporarily embarrassed millionaires meaning it's always like meaning he's saying like all the, the poor and the middle class they're mentally they think the same as the ultra wealthy and they think that oh if i just if i do x y and z if X, Y, and Z happens, you know, and I catch a break, then I'll become that, you know, um, ultra wealthy instead of kind of um, working within their own kind of political context, instead of trying to better, you know, instead of raising this, the floor, they're thinking, I'm just going to go straight, you know, to the penthouse one day instead of improving the conditions at, at the, the lower, the lowest level. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know there's so many layers, but I think you just you just said something that quote you mentioned um, about the yeah, pretty much the lower class thinking billionaires. Mm -hmm. I think that's interesting when you think about today's time. Because um, we talk about, I know we talk about economics all the time. It's just kind of how how vastly I think false in thought and slight delusion of how many people actually think they're middle class. And when you actually look at reports and I don't know the specifics right now. I think even I think anything over four hundred fifty thousand is considered wealthy and one percent. I think even in today's time with inflation and everything else, making a hundred thousand dollars doesn't necessarily classify you as yeah. middle class, especially if you're living above your means. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I the hundred like the what's what's the saying now? at least I've been told like that like the new hundred thousand dollars like probably make a hundred thousand dollars, even though it's considered six figures, isn't really six figures, depending yeah, on where they live at. It, right, especially because well, you know, if if that's in like one of the bigger cities, you know, that's not not getting you as far, um, unfortunately. And then, I mean, to your point, it's the big difference between um, income and wealth. You know, because because wealth can be like you know what assets that are passively getting you income versus like you know a wage is a wage like. You could be earning, you know, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars. That's a lot of money anywhere. That's a lot of money, um, but that can still be a wage. If you stop, say, you, if you like, you say, if you're living above your means and you don't know how to budget, and say you come from a family that you know is, has lower wealth, you could lose your job, and you can be, mm -hmm. you know, two months away from, you know, getting evicted. I mean, that's a very different reality than someone who say like low income. But maybe their family has a lot of wealth and then they could lose their job and they always have something to kind of, you know, s sit on. Like wealth is still um, there's a big. Yeah. I mean, in wealth. What I'm trying to say is the the gap and the focus should be on wealth more than income, even because there's a lot of lawyers. There's a lot of doctors that like, you know, like to think that they earn a lot of money and they do. Um, but their class interests, honestly, should be closer to you know other wage workers other people that work for a paycheck than it should be with the ownership class of those that own the wealth and you know can leave a job but have passive income in the background generating them more money um yeah to go back to the kind of the classism and it's just a lot of mental like um mm -hmm. misrepresentation and not really understanding um where we fall no, I think that's that's the main thing. Um, yeah, you always yeah, you always nail it on the head, man. I think that's the biggest thing that I'm continuing to learn is we are striving for something 
That is important because wealth is important, and I'm not a financial yeah. advisor, so I, you know, my comments are just purely based off of observation. Yeah, uh, yeah. I always say that I biggest issue, I think, not even just from a a black perspective, but like a people perspective, is that we're often more consumers mm -hmm. than we are owners. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. if we if we do take it from a race perspective, like black people in America, absolutely, statistically, are usually the larger consumers or yeah. one of the largest consumers. Um, and because of that, most of the consumption isn't based off of actual ownership itself. It is usually towards material goods, uh, more yeah. of branding, you know, whatever. It doesn't have to just be like people buying designer clothes. It's just typically not towards ownership alone. Uh, and granted, we've just we we can always go down the the truth of the, the hardships of what it means for somebody of color to right. have ownership, um, loans, anything. It's, it's exactly. usually four times. times harder. So I'm yeah. not gonna, we're not going to sit here and say, oh, you know, black people don't want to own anything because that's, that's not true at all. That's exactly, not, yeah. And and uh, I, I, was, I saw a statistic this week, week um, that um, black, like black investors, like, you know, um, there's been a higher growth than like expected um, and us invest, especially uh, the youth, and I'm not surprised because when I look around me, I see a lot of that initiative and I see a lot of us that, you know, have felt like we've been denied that because we have. And I see a lot of, you know, like people like me and you and, you know, my friends that are like enlightened and seeing, you know, the path um, that having, you know, some type of wealth and investment offers and to be more financially literate than often our parents are and kind of, you know, ushering it into that that new generation. So I do think, you know, some, some positive, you know, things are on the horizon, especially, especially for us. I think, um, the, the, the consuming part and trying to live within your means, that, that, no, that's the, that's the tough part. I feel like for, for everyone. It's always going to be tough though. Cause inflation, you know, we can't, yeah. inflation is at all time high in, in every area. So, uh, you know, inflation is one, one part of it, but also just like, to me, like advertising is the other thing. We get, we see, I think I saw some statistics, like the average American sees, I didn't even know how this is possible, but like, when you really think about it, it makes sense. It says something like 10,000 ads a day. Uh, that insane, oh, right? Uh, uh, uh. But, but like, when you think about it, billboards, logos, just like, if you walk outside, you see so, you know, many things. And like, I mean, we're, we live in it. So it's like, we're accustomed to it. So probably a lot of it, you know, sips past the subconscious, but I, I I could believe, you know, something like that. I mean, so much, and, and what I'm getting at with that is uh, so much of like desire um, for what we might want is, uh, is, is fabricated. It's fabricated. We don't really know what we want. I feel like we are kind of spoon fed, you know, through, you know, corporations and things of like what we should want. Um, and capitalism and consumerism, you know, that, I mean, our, our economy is kind of, you know, capitalistic, obviously, but it's very consumer driven. And all that consumerism is really led by a, a feeling of insecurity a lot of times, I feel. Because um, the most potent consumer is someone that's very insecure. Because what do all advertising, you know, try to do? It's try to convince us you, you don't have something right now and you need this to satisfy you. Whether it's food, whether it's entertainment, whether it's you know a beauty product, whether it's uh, um, whether it's you know a business trying to pitch you to be a business person, you know, <laughs> like it could get meta, like it could get a little abstract, but like it's always pitching you something of like you need to reassess like what you have right now and not be satisfied with it. Mm. I think that's why I, I remember I talked with um, it's a bit of a tangent, but I, I talked with uh, this one urban design uh tiktoker social you know media content creator um and she did a lot of urban design stuff and she was saying like um you know the, the nice thing about parks is like you you can't monetize it <laughs> and there's there's all these like you know when you like you can sell certain ideas of like oh let's make this like area walkable let's make this like outdoor mall this village or whatever but you know, the things that get traction are the things that like, okay, how can I make money off of this? The nice, some of the nicest things in life, you can't make money off of, <laughs> you know, like having a party, like having like, you know, 
things for th people to like kind of unplug and like detach from like, you know, things and materialism, those things you can't commodify and you can't make money off of. So we see less of it in our society because our society, like I said, is so focused. On how can I make this person spend some money on something? Um, unfortunately. I don't know. That's, uh, that's the harsh truth. But let's, man, it was more so like, I was curious to know, like, for somebody I feel like that's into politics, that's what mm -hmm. I was getting to, into politics, what do you think is the biggest issue regarding all the various parties and their stances? Like I mentioned, we both agree that most of these people in their stances are usually tip, typically either based off of how they were raised or a financial piece. And I was just curious to know, like, how you think that creates a lack of solutions to all these various problems in America. Yeah. yeah. I say, obviously, big question, um, but I'd say the pound for pound biggest thing is just... Um, it's addressing inequality, it's addressing class, um, it's addressing differences in opportunity, um, which has all come down to kind of, you know, the hard economic condition of people. Um, I'd say fundamentally, there's just, fundamentally people, people aren't paid enough, people don't have enough money. I mean, the biggest thing is people don't have enough money. That's the most basic way you could, uh, phrase that i could say that there's a housing crisis i could say there's too much homelessness i could say rent is too high i could say people don't have enough money i could say inflation's out of control i could say the military has too much money um but all of that is you know the common denominator of all that is is that people don't have enough money to work with um the solutions to fix that um are you know and I, the solutions to fix that and, you know, to get to, you know, what you said about what's the difference as far as where conservatives are mentally at right now and uh, where are the more Trump people at and then where are Democrats and then more progressives, like where's everyone at? I think everyone, I think everyone in the room, metaphorically speaking, understands the issue that people don't have enough money and people don't have enough resources and that economics are not, you know, the hard economic facts like aren't good. Things aren't working. Um, I mean, generally speaking, like, you know, um, the past eight months or whatever, economically um, haven't been that bad. It's not that we're in a recession or anything. I'm just saying like, and it's not that things haven't been worse like, you know, four years ago or anything. I'm just saying that in general, people don't have enough money, people are strapped for cash, yada, yada. And everyone in the room understands that. But people's solutions for that are very different. On the right, um, the Trump types, essentially what they're preaching, and a lot of what I'm saying is obviously, you know, from my own research and study, but a lot of it is from a book in particular, Capital and Inequality, by this um, very renowned, very well-regarded, like French economist, Thomas Piketty. Um, he had originally wrote this massive fucking book. I'm talking like a thousand pages. Um, it was like a research book and it kind of going into like the quantitative stuff and like, you know, math and economics and stuff. That was back in 2014. And it, it was it was called Capital, you know, like old fashioned, thick ass economics textbook, nitty gritty numbers and shit. Um, and it was a long ass way, a thousand page ass way of saying, look, in general, <laughs> capital will tend to fuck up things. <laughs> Capital capitalism will tend to fuck up things. Meaning, um, capitalism, you know, you hear it all the time. One way, one quick way to understand the core of it, even though it's many things, the core of it is that it's trying to direct capital, people with machinery, people with um lots of money, people with lots of assets, people with lots of, of resources, give them essentially the reins on our society and let them create things and then let the market work everything else out, um, roughly speaking. So basically, this big-ass book says capital, um, in the long run, meaning, you know, over the course of decades, over the course of centuries, um, will tend to out, will tend to grow faster than anything else. And what he's saying is capital will grow faster than the economy in general. So basically saying wealthy, 
a small minority of wealthy people will become stupidly rich. So he's essentially saying in 2014, the Bezoses, the Gates, like ultra billionaires, ultra wealthy people will become extremely wealthy way faster than general society will do, will, will like progress. And he's saying all of that will happen under the best case scenario for what we call capitalism. So basically it was kind of a cat's out the bag. Here's this very academic person, very like at that point, central, like kind of centrist, like, you know, not a, not a socialist, not like, you know, not on the far left, not on the far right, but a centrist academic, you know, supposedly, you know, the, the most objective person, most moderate person in the room, essentially saying, shit's not, not working. It's not going to work. We need to drastically change things. Um, so centrist calling for radical solutions is essentially what that book was. And within the academic community, obviously it's very insular. That's why, you know, no one's heard of this book. <laughs> um, that was a very popular thing. Um, fast forward to 2019, he creates a successor to that one called Capital and, and Ideology. That one I've read. That one's like 1,100 pages. Also thick as shit. But it's more about the solutions to that issue of, hey, capitalism isn't working. Um, and he... He talks about, you know, he essentially takes progressive stances. He's saying, yes, we need to tax, um, we need to tax wealth at a higher rate. We need to tax the ultra wealthy at a higher rate. Um, we need to do close all these loopholes that corporations and businesses, you know, take advantage of to not have to pay taxes, to not have to pay workers, to not be competitive, really. Um, yeah, he so he takes progressive stances. That's those are the solutions he offers. He talks about universal basic income. And all those kind of things. And at that point, nowadays, those kind of things within the academic setting are kind of like well respected and taken um, and seen as pretty popular. Um, basic income has been an idea since you know Martin Luther King came. You know he didn't come up with it, but like he was one. He was a big proponent of it in the sixties. And um, talking about universal basic income. Yeah, exactly. That's what, are your thoughts, you know, what are your thoughts on that? So sorry. Like, what are your thoughts yeah, on that cool, since cool. on throwing this topic? Um, who's the guy? I cannot think of his name. Andrew Yang. Yes, Andrew yeah. Yang was the one that kind of presented that in the last the last running when he was running for office. Yeah. Do you actually it. think do you actually think that would actually make a better economy? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So the the stimulus checks were the the precursor or the preview for that. The economy did well with stimulus checks. People will tell you, people like stimulus checks helped ordinary people in in a big way. Um, and honestly, a lot of academics, on at least on the progressive side, were kind of pissed and disappointed that that wasn't just continued indefinitely. Um, honestly, because because the political will will was there for it. A lot of these things, like a lot of economics, um, there just has to be a political will to do something and then things will get done. Like pop, there's nothing like popular support. If people popularly support something, it will tend to get done um, or you'll face a lot of friction. Abortion is a good example. Abortion is, you know, like most people, 60 percent of you know Americans fall on tend to favor with Democrats, tend to favor like, you know, the right for a woman to have, you know, a power of the situation. That's why the Supreme Court ruling was so, you know, unsettling. And you saw these huge protests because it was trying to reject something that was pretty popular. Um, so popularity and like getting political willpower is like, you know, the name of the game. Universal basic income has that already. Um, at this point, you just have, you know, the ownership class that is more against that because that, you know, I mean, that's that's less of a pie for for them essentially to, to to control. But to go back to what I was talking about with the book to answer your question as far as like you know what the solutions are, um, you know, to that that issue that that I outlined that I think everyone understands that you know um, people don't have enough money and people are struggling economically and there's not enough opportunity. The solutions that um, that um, the different you know kind of groups of, of parties uh, propose. Um, um, are, are well outlined in that book, Capital and Ideology. So Thomas Piketty kind of says, and I'll kind of like paraphrase him basically, he's like, there's the Trumps, the Trump type of people. And the solution they're offering to that issue is 
we'll just um we'll take you know this pie this share of the you know the money the, the economic wealth we'll take the pie and then share it with fewer people so essentially what they're pitching to their supporters is an exclusionary um solution they're like okay the issue isn't that hey we don't have enough money the issue is hey you know these immigrants are taking your money they're taking your jobs or hey they're getting here illegally they're ruining the economy they're taking your jobs exclusionary or that or they're proposing like hey it's all these you know diversity hires they don't you know actually divert um deserve anything they're you know taking away from you um or hey it's women you know it's basically it's shrinking i mean this is the same this is a strategy of you know lots of different you know historical figures i mean you know hitler that this was his strategy um was, was essentially to shrink the pie the german economy was awful of suffering it was like okay let's just make it for you know aryans for white people for you know non-jews to make it just for you know very ethnically germans and essentially when you do that um yeah, you, you slowly strip the rights of everyone else. And that's what, you know, the Republicans are trying to do. They're slowly trying to strip the voting rights of Blacks across the country to make sure, we you know, we can't vote as easily, if at all. They're trying to, you know, get college students to vote less and make it harder for college students to vote because they know that that's, you know, usually who doesn't vote for Republicans. Um, basically say the proposal, everyone understands the same issue. Once again, money is the issue the far right proposal is let's just make this pie um and give it to a smaller percentage of people um which is white supremacy you know let's just give it to you know white people essentially and especially white males on the center right the more conservative you know your your romney type or, or whatever um the solution to it is um is is more muddled. It's not as straightforward. It's not as well communicated, which is why really the central, the conservatives, they're not doing as well right now in the four to in the last four to eight years. Cause things are pretty, because the public is pretty open to radical solutions because things aren't working. So I mean, that's how you get Trump, that's how you get Bernie, that's how you get AOC, that's how you get Biden, you know, who started as a centrist, but Biden's essentially absorbed, you know pretty much um, all the economic, you know, policies of, you know, the far left, because um, he's been forced to, because that's what, you know, people have appetite for, that people want radical solutions. Um, yeah. So that's why the, the central right, you don't really get a clear message of what their solution to the issue is. The center left, same issue. You don't get a clear, like, it's more the center right and left, they're still like, you know, tied to the old guard, the old, like, oh, let's just keep trying the same things. Um, that, that that's honestly the Obama type is center left. Um, well, let's keep trying the same things. Let's you know stick by capitalism and not really you know um, change much. Um, and that's why they're not doing as well because their message is diluted. The far left, you got what you know what I said earlier about you know universal basic income, and ultimately that's inclusionary. So we talk about diversity and inclusion all the time and equity, equity, and that that's um that's what that is like you're you're including everyone into the 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 pie and that's what i stand for and you're sharing you know the wealth and you're saying there is enough to go around we can afford to do things like universal basic income we can afford to you know give um people all kids better education can afford to um pay for people's health care and can afford to you know give say like parents, you know, equal parental leave for whether you're the dad or the mom. And um, yeah, and that all creates a more secure emotionally society and a more economically secure um, society. And it, like I said earlier, it raises the floor so that there's less pressure. So more people don't feel like they need to do extreme things and honestly kind of adopt like, you know, delusional thinking, like, you know, so you see all the grind, you know, the, the hustle culture, the grind said, like, you know, um, tunnel, tunnel vision again on trying to make it by any means necessary um, and essentially living like pretty shitty lives based on this one, you know, dream or delusion of like making it very big um, because they're so, because you have so far to fall, um, people are more insecure. So um, that's, and you know, I'm definitely in line with the far left and progressive and, you know, some will call it, the, you know, the socialist side. Um, 
and I mean that that is what what this is. So like these are all those are socialist policies. Like universal basic income is a socialist policy. Um, as in, it's just like for you know everyone in society in general. Oh, okay. That was good. That was a lot. I almost went down the wrong pipe for a second. <clears throat> and there's a lot. It's a lot that you were saying though that I definitely um think makes sense and obviously if people see this and whatever they have people are gonna have responses i i would challenge anybody that does listen to this to really have an open mind and heart please do not try to uh, be defensive in in your views because that's what often curates these problems is that people are so yeah. stuck high on what they think uh it still goes back to the idea and regardless of what people think about America itself, it does often try to attempt from an advertising standpoint that it is a melting pot of yeah. opportunity and obviously diversity and things like that. Obviously, we have stances and thoughts, but yeah. it's the truth that, yeah, I think that these are the best ways to learn these things is to actually sit down, actually learn, actually understand. So I definitely commend you for taking the time to read thousand page books. Uh, 1100 page books on uh, the economy because I do think that is one of our downfalls as people that we do not take the time to understand how all this works uh, that yeah. we get so caught up in what we either been taught or what we think um, and use it as our face value to determine our future but again goes back to what I think about political stances and views I think depending on where you are financially will definitely determine the type right. of stance you will you will want to have represents you. Now you may not necessarily agree with the leader of right. that movement, but if they are doing what's in best interest for you, you're going yeah. to rock with it nine times out of ten. I do have a final question for you because I feel like you share it so much. I think there's so much that we can always dive into. This could definitely be a Joe Rogan uh, <laughs> 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 episode where it's like four hours of uh, yeah, four hour long thing. Four hour ones, I'm sure he does. Um, yeah, he definitely does. I think Kanye's is almost four hours. Um, but I'm curious to know because remind me, you're 23, 23 as of yesterday. 23, yes, happy, yeah, happy birthday again. And so, since there is a five, six year age gap between me and you, um, I am curious to know what do you think about the next wave of young leaders? What do you think? Mm -hmm that they are going to stand for. Because even though we are close in age, I think that yeah. you all have a little bit of a more radical stance than we do. Um, and I'm just curious to know, what do you think will be the biggest stances that y'all will want to stand on moving forward as far as cultivating uh, the ideal society for right. us as people? I mean I mean, I would say always when, when answering a question like that between like, you know, identifying generational differences, um, a part of the answer might always, the mis the mistake, mistaken answer that, you know, a lot of people might give, I'm not giving this, but I'm saying a quick answer that people will give will be to judge people of my age group too soon. So like a lot of behavior is age dependent, is like age dependent. So like college people are more radical and, you know, progressive, but that's also just a factor of the fact that they don't, they don't have anything that's like tying them to a situation. And so when you don't have responsibilities, when you don't have like, you know, um, when you don't have kids, when you don't have property, when you don't have any ties to needing the status quo to continue to be the status quo, or, mm -hmm. or need, when you, when you, when you're not invested in society to be predictable, which really means you're going to like stand by the status quo within reason, then of course you're, you're willing to like endorse more radical change. That's why it changes all. That's why, you know, young people are always, you know, great vehicles for change because they're not, they're not tied to, you know, the way things are, the system as it is. Um, yeah. So I, I say that to say that I do think I'm, I'm going to say there's two things that I think are, you know, relatively unique and that stand out, you know, for people my age. I think people my age on average, you know, compared to I'd say like you and my brother's age, like are more aware of climate change, are more aware of climate action, are more aware of, you know, the issues around that and the environment. And I'd say that we're also, you know, I just 
a hard fact of, you know, when we we're, you know, born and when technology and social media and personal devices, you know, emerge naturally, we're folded into the digital world more than, you know, anyone else. So like, those are hard, concrete things that I think are different. Our appreciation of how bad climate change can be and our ability to use and also un just understand, you know, the digital world and digital media it doesn't necessarily mean we accept it more. It just means we're like more embedded, you know, within it because we've, you know, grown up with it for longer and during our like, you know, maturing periods. Um, mm. That's why I think it's like definitely different. I think everything else, as far as our appetite for like, you know, radical change, our appetite for, you know, I mean, also another hard example is we've, we've existed in more diverse settings, I'd say more than, um, than, you know, you, you guys a generation, cause we've had, I mean, we're just further into, I mean, um, segregation has on desegregation. I mean, yeah, desegregation has only been, you know, around since like what the seventies or really eighties, yeah. really. Um, as far as when it like really, you know, kind of kicked in the facts. So that's um, so every five years, it, it makes a difference. Like my my little cousin, who's you know, you know, twelve. Like, um, I mean, no, she's fourteen. Like, um, she's still gonna she's gonna have an even more diversified background than I would. She that's just a world that she's gonna be even more familiar with than I would and me more than you. Um, not that, but that can always go backwards, you know, things can change, but that's that's where the trajectory we're on right now. So I'll say diversity, climate, and the digital world, those are the hard differences I see. But everything else, as far as like, oh, economic equality and economic justice, um, or, you know, adopting universal basic income and stuff like that, I think that's all just a function of where we're at in you know stage of life. So that could change, I think, I think we're on the same page, you know, as as your age group, and it just depends on um, how well we're able to, like, you know, kind of understand, you know, how things are uh, operating in the, the the bigger sense. And you know, I mean, some people can get tied to the status quo. I mean, I've definitely have, I, I've already seen friends that used to have more, you know, um, progressive views a year or two ago, and now they have a job you know, that pays well. And suddenly a lot of issues aren't that relevant for them anymore. Cause you know, having a lot of money, you know, can iron out a lot of issues to where, yeah, things might suck, but you are kind of insulated from that a little bit. Um, so I can already see them developing into more conservative people over time. And I'm like, okay, in 10 years, I guess when you have kids and you have property, I can see you being a much more conservative person than you were at your age right now. So that's, so that's something I can already kind of, you know, notice uh, to, to answer your question. But I, I do think in those three things that, that I said earlier, those are things that I think are, are definitely different and that those will be a lasting change. Even as we get older, I think those are uh, things we'll always kind of keep in mind. Yeah. No, man, I, hey. It's like I just I just feel like I just went to school again. But you always seriously though, I man. I always say this. I mean, I'd rather have a saying this on camera, off camera. I mean, I always feel like with you, you remind me how much more I gotta learn. And I'm somebody who already likes to learn, but you are in a different you learn the things you learn about, I recognize I still have an ignorance with and I haven't taken the time to really divulge into um and it doesn't mean i don't care about it it just it reminds me that there's always more to learn so i appreciate the fact that you are so so driven in your cause of learning and making content and being informational and more so just being yourself man i think sure. that's the biggest thing that i've always respected about you just making the content you make you can easily go into the route of doing what's in the trends and all that yeah. man and i think to be again a black man that makes, I would like to say, educational and historical educational and economic content with so much data and research, man. You have to, got to give credit with his due. Um, and I just want to let you know that I appreciate that, man. But for those who do not know you, as far as your social media, where can people find you? For sure, for sure. Um, so I'd say uh, TikTok, 
Um, it's just my full name, Caleb Akeem Hughes, um, C-A-L-E-B-A-K-E-E-N-H-U-G-H-E-S. Um, same with Instagram and then LinkedIn as well. Um, it's been everywhere. And yeah, there, there's a couple of projects I'm working on. What made you What made you change the name, man? I remember, I, I swear it was like observer. It was observer over thoughts, right? Yeah. Oh, it, it was that for a minute, but basically, because you know me, I mean, if I, I I would like to be, you know, like an educator or you know, um, maybe run run for you know for office one day, and both of those Definitely. things. Both of those things, I would benefit from having like you know a, a better name recognition. So like, why not get my name out there from the jump? You know, I just figure for the types of things I want to be doing, it would be better if more people knew my name than than less knew my name. So it just made sense. I was I was like, dang, I was looking up his content. I was like, when did Caleb change his name? To his <laughs> name, and for somebody who uses their name for content too, I get it. It's like I always say the best way to. People to get to know about you, man, is just to know who you are yeah. and know your name, man. All the other yeah, stuff. It's a personal level, and I feel like people yeah. people respect that. I saw some tweet the other day. I don't even be on Twitter. I saw I saw a screenshot of a tweet on Instagram, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. and somebody was saying the future of uh, like influencing, the future of uh, like social media won't be influencers; it'll be educators. And I I, I really do believe that because when I hear people talk about like, oh, I was on TikTok or oh, I was on Instagram, I hear people say. Oh, I learned this thing on this platform. And I think that's really telling. Or I, I hear like, oh, I, I saw this funny thing on this platform. So I think humor and and teaching, I think um the land that me and you are in, like that's a like people respect that. And that's a very, you know, um useful thing. Like we we all want information, we all want to learn. So yeah. thank you for, you know, making this podcast and doing what you do as an author. Hey brother, you've been around for a while, man. You know, I just ain't. I've been doing this for a couple of years now, man. So I feel like uh feel like I'm finally about to start hitting my stride. So again, we just we just trying to do something positive, man. Do something positive, but also show show the towns of people that I know and hopefully get a chance to meet more talented people at some point because of that. That's the yeah. biggest goal, man. I think that's the and this last thing I do for a wrap up, like that's the biggest thing that I was learning when I brought this back. I was like, man, what was working? I was like, man, interviews were working. I'm like, people, you know, it get. It, I had to kind of get back out of my own way because I think I was so big on, um, I want people to know me. Like, I want people to yeah. know me, what I got going on. Like, you know, yeah. and I still want people to do that. But I'm like, man, like, you also know all these dope individuals, man, that it, have something to present. Personally, I love the balance, honestly, because I want, yeah. you know, to know you. And I, I, yeah, I, I think both. Both. Yeah, I had to. I had to tell myself that honestly. Literally, after interviewing my grandma, I was like, "You got to go back to interviewing people again, man." Um, and I was kind of. I, I recognized I was a little stubborn about that. I'm like, "But it's helping people, helping you, man." You know, it takes a village to make these things grow and Absolutely. to expand, man. And usually, the best pods are with interviews. Can't those be the best ones? The best ones learn something new again. People can learn about. So much just with you and anybody else to come along, bro. So I appreciate you, man. This, as always, this has been a great episode. Make sure you subscribe to it on your favorite audio platform. Check this out on YouTube. Follow my brother on his social media pages. And as always, I will see you all soon. Till next time, peace.